cut my life into pieces. This is the Screen Pass Podcast. The sexiest show about American football in popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me, as always, is the man who calls Bill Cower whenever he can't work something out, Justin Barber. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Sheehan. How you doing? I'm really good. Just moved house, got a house full of people at the moment, and thriving. Living la vida loca. Oh, thriving is what we all aspire to do. Before we get into this week's show, and I think we've got a, a good episode, we are part of 32-bit. So make sure you are subscribed to our channel on YouTube and following at 32bit. That's the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T on Twitter. So you never miss an episode of Screen Pass or any of the other amazing shows on the network like Issa Vibe, On Beat, and show to be named later with Marcus Grant. Now, we've cleared those commitments. I realized that I've forgotten to do ads for the past couple of weeks. So um, sorry, guys. Yeah, I think we mentioned a little bit last week, just in conversation, but yeah, we there's a lot of good shows on 32-bit. I absolutely recommend going out there and checking them out, especially if you like this one. There's just so much more. Absolutely. Well, as you may have guessed this week, I don't know why I say as you may have guessed, because it's in the title of the episode every week. I don't think people are coming in blind. It's right there. As you will have read, we watched the movie Home Team, starring Kevin James, Taylor Lautner, Rob Schneider, and others from earlier this year. It's a fictionalized account of former New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton's season, coaching his son's high school football team while suspended due to the Bounty Gate scandal. I had seen it once before and you hadn't. Uh, so what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, it was new to me. It's a, well, it's a new movie in general. It just came out this year and it's a true-ish story by uh, Happy Madison Productions. That's Adam Sandler's production company. And he tends to throw a lot of Kevin James in his movies. Yep. He did like the Grown Ups 1 and 2 and I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry and Zookeeper and several other ones that the Kevin James gets in there. So they must they must have a relationship. Pixels as well. Uh, Kevin James plays the president. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think there's even a joke in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where Adam Sandler's at an auction and Jakey Peralta makes some joke about his upcoming film and asks who Kevin James is playing. <laughs> it's true. I have 90 from the man with the face at table four. This is terrible. You don't know what you're doing. Adam Sandler? Yeah, that's right. I collect antiquities. I'm a serious person. I'm writing a movie right now about the Russian Revolution. Oh, really? Who does Kevin James play in it? Uh -huh. It's a serious movie. Trotsky. Ah, there it is. But he's got a wife who never wears a bra. I think you're going to like it. It seems to be one of his guys. They, he has a few of them, though. Like, um, even dating right back to his early films, he's like David Spade, yep. Rob Schneider, Chris Farley, rest in peace. Yep. Chris Rock shows up quite a few times. And weirdly now, Taylor Lautner as well. He's a weird one to be there, mate. Yeah, yeah. The, the werewolf guy from Twilight. Uh, <laughs> who, that's honestly going to be our seven degrees of separations, I think, in this podcast. Last week... We, in our National Football League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, we talk about Dracula, and then we made fun of Twilight for a little bit. I never thought our seven yep. degrees of separation would bank on Twilight, but here we are. This is where we are. There's a couple in this film, actually, because you've also got Isaiah Mustafa, coach of the, the bad guy team, the porcupines, and he is, of course, from the old Spice commercial. Right. That's right. 
Interesting. Dating right back uh, to an old episode. I'm sure there were plenty of others as well, but I was like, I've nailed it with that one. I'm not going to look into it anymore. Yeah. In fact, actually, there's another one, which is even more tangential. There is another film from 19, might be 1998, maybe 1995 called Home Team about, it's essentially the Mighty Ducks with soccer and uh, starring Steve Guttenberg, of course, of Police Academy fame. Oh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yeah, that the green team, it has that the hot English lady teacher comes in and shows all these misfits how to play soccer. And I mean, essentially, that's kind of what home team is, too. It's that very bad news bear style family comedy with the misfits kids and the coach comes in and pulls them all together and makes them better. This is a really 90s film. Yes. In that sense. I mean, it's a classic underdog sports story, but it's kind of it, it felt a little bit out of time because, of course, the 90s was the golden age of dads reconnecting with their children movies. And they kind of all had the same tropes of cool dad, doesn't quite understand the kid. They grow together over whatever bonding activity. They become mates. The mum sort of begrudgingly is like, oh, I've seen the man that I fell in love with. And maybe they get back together. Maybe they don't. Right. But there's also like the dorky new husband or the dorky partner, classically Judge Reinhold in the Santa Claus is the kind of archetype there. Charlie is conflicted at the moment. You got more important things to worry about, you know. Like, where are you going to get more sweaters after the circus pulls out of town? Yeah, absolutely. They always remarry a dork, don't they? (laughs) Um, There's a ton of these in the 90s. You mentioned Mighty Ducks. You mentioned the big green. Those little giants that had uh, Al Bundy and Rick Moranis in it. I don't know if you remember that. That was a peewee football sports movie that we might one day touch on ladybugs do you remember ladybugs with rodney dangerfield i know the name i don't think i've ever seen it what's he coaching in that one he's so that's a soccer movie and it's rodney dangerfield is the coach i thought it might and have he been. gets his <laughs> he, to, he coaches a, a girls team and i don't know if this would fly today but the girls aren't very good so he gets his stepson who's really good at soccer to dress up as a woman go out and play on the team huh. What do you put a dress on and go run around with all these broads? I tell you, we get no respect. (laughs) But uh, I remember really liking that movie back then. Again, probably not something that would fly today. But yeah, the 90s were just like riddled with these sports kids movies that have this same kind of trope going on. Actually, speaking of things that uh, wouldn't fly today, we talked about this uh, off pod. When we were doing the Gus episode and they were making fun of the ugly cheerleaders, we sort of threw away that there was like... If this was ever going to happen, this is like Shades of Daniel Schneider, owner of the Washington football team, whatever they're fucking called these days, the Washington Commanders. And then it came out this week that he was basically exactly that, going on about how ugly the cheerleaders were. I can't believe it. That was so wild. We threw up a hypothetical as a joke and then leave it up to Schneider to deliver on... That horribleness. I, uh, I'm i glad that's popped into my mind here. Circling back to this movie, though, is Kevin James actually good in this? Because obviously there was so much talk about him. When he came out, it was like, <laughs> Kevin James playing Sean Payton. What are we next? You'll get Rob Schneider playing Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think he's good. You know, the, the issue that I had with it was physically he looks 
nothing like Sean Payton. So that threw me off at first. I'm like, is this a parody? Are they really talking about Sean Payton here? But his mannerisms, his accent, I thought he was pretty good. I definitely bought it. How did you feel? I thought he was really good as well. I, I had zero expectation for this. When I saw that it was coming out, I, I was like, we're, we're 100% going to cover this on the show. And I was kind of disappointed it wasn't worse. Yeah, me too. It's an okay film. I think he's quite good. He's not really doing Sean Payton. I quite like a parody that's not someone doing an impression, but rather kind of captures his essence a little bit. And he's got the gum chewing. Right. He's always wearing his visor. He had the good, he had the attitude, I think. Now, I mean, what are your thoughts on Kevin James in general? I was trying to think back today. I haven't seen a lot of films that he's been in. I really like him in Hitch, mm. but I, you know, I never watched uh, King of Queens, never watched Kevin Can Wait. Really, my exposure to him is my significant other has an uncle who who used to look a bit like him before he became a keto weirdo. <laughs> Kevin James from his stand-up, I like. And I think Kevin James is a nice and funny person, but I'm just not a big fan of his film work. It's really just it boils down to it's not my type of comedy. Yep. He's very similar to like Ray Romano, which makes sense because they're friends. Both of them are funny guys. You see their stand up or you see them do things in interviews and they can make you laugh, but they they're more this family oriented stuff, yep. kind of low hanging fruit comedy. I like things that are a little more surprising or unexpected. I mean, I'm glad their type of films are out there. I think the world needs these clean, feel good family comedies, but they're just they're just not my style. I saw he's in another movie, Grown Ups, with Adam Sandler yep. and Rob Schneider and Chris Rock, David Spade, all the guys we mentioned before <laughs> that are in all Adam Sandler movies. Um, that was pretty good. I, I like that. It's the same kind of thing where it's a feel good comedy. King of Queens was a good show, but I'm not a sitcom guy. To me, that was a classic cookie cutter sitcom. Yep. And Paul Blart, Mall Cop, I don't. That's a hard pass. <laughs> that is a hard, hard pass. And you know they made two of those movies? I did not. Not only, <laughs> not only did they release one, but someone went back to the studio and wanted to capitalize on that. I'll never understand it. Yeah, I've not seen Paul Blart, Mall Cop, or Here, Com Why? Here Comes the Boom. He became part of that Sandler stable when I kind of drifted out of watching his films religiously. Uh, Grown Ups and like Sandy Wexler and all these other films that you're just like, you know, good for you, Adam Sandler. You get to make these movies and hang out with your mates. You are living the dream, my friend. But yeah, I thought he was he was good in this. Certainly he's much better than I thought he would be. I think Adam Sandler, he was doing his specific kind of comedy, which was Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, like the stuff yeah, that funny ones. we got from yeah, from SNL, like that kind of humor. He made a pivot, and I think it was so that he could make movies for, like, his kids. Mm. So he had kids, he became a dad, and he was making movies that were more geared towards that kind of comedy. Whereas before, it was offensive and off the wall and really wacky. I think even without the offensive part, this movie could have used some more extreme bizarreness to really make it. It felt bland to me. Yeah, the actual, the A plot of it, the stuff with Sean Payton and the team, not particularly funny, and there's sort of a cast of weirdo hangers-on. Who are the funny characters? You know, the funny assistant coach, the horny black mum, the dads. Surf ninja star Rob Schneider. <laughs> 
That's an absolute classic. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Surf Ninja star, star Rob Schneider and Eric, the hotel attendant, who's Adam Sandler's nephew. He really is just making these films to get it, the people he knows paid. Like Sandler's wife's in this. Oh, yeah. And his nephew actually thought did well. I mean, we'll probably touch on that as we get more into the plot. Rob Schneider, Adam Sandler has solely kept this guy's career alive. (laughs) I know they're good friends, but he's in every movie. He normally plays a crazy goofball, like completely off the rails. This one, he was a little more tame, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's in there. He's a uh, Rob Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider is a carrot. <laughs> I was going to say, that is what I always think. And he's about to find out. <laughs> How tough being a carrot really is from South Park. <laughs> Rob Schneider was an animal. Then he was a woman. And now, Rob Schneider is a stapler. And he's about to find out that being a stapler is harder than it looks. Rob Schneider is the stapler. Rated PG-13. Weak. That was that era where um, he was doing, like, he did like the hot chick. Yeah. He had a little bit of a, a little run there with Deuce Bigelow. Yeah, all these mistaken identity kind of films yes. like that was his his niche there is a i remember his, rob schneider from snl there's one sketch that i really love let me know if you know this one it's a college and he shows up and there's a female there and they're supposed to be roommates and i forget his name i forget what his name was but she's like are you denise and he's like yeah, I'm Denise. And she's like, I think there's been a mistake. And he's like, well, why don't we, why don't we just take a shower and talk about it? (laughs) And she's like, something's wrong here. And then her friends come in. She's like, something doesn't seem right. And he's like, well, guys, why don't we do this? Let's all take a shower and then we'll go figure it out. (laughs) And he just keeps pressing it. Speaking of comedy, you can't, uh, can't make today. Good luck getting a clip for that one. Hey, I'm getting hungry. How about we get out of here and go to the dining hall? Okay, okay. sure. Well, we can't go dirty. Come on, let's take a shower. <laughs> Hold on, Jennifer, whatever your real name is, you can give it up. I mean, we all know you're a man. Yeah, we've been on to you the whole time. What? What? I can't believe you're saying this to me. Sure, I may not be as pretty as you or look as feminine as you, or have breasts as plump and round as yours, but my own roommates telling me I look like a man? I've never been so upset. And to think, I was just about to share with you my new underwater camera that even takes pictures in the shower. I should say, this is not the best big fat dad reconnecting with his son in New Orleans movie there is. Chef is an amazing movie. And I feel this borrows quite heavily from that. Yeah, I agree. 100%. That is a good movie. I saw that on a whim a little while ago, and that's that's solid. And really enjoy the chef show. Yep. So should we get into this uh, Get into this movie? Let's do it. Pumped. Home team opens with our boy Kevin James as Sean Payton standing on the sidelines of Super Bowl 44 in 2009 as coach of the Saints. Team makes a final play, wins the championship for the first time ever. Do you remember who got the pick six to seal it for them? You know, it was in the movie, and I feel like I know this, but I'm just completely spacing on it. I know uh, Peyton Manning threw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> who, who who got the pick? 
Stacey Porter. Mm. Two years later, the infamous Bountygate scandal, an incident in which members of the New Orleans Saints were accused of handing out bonuses to their players for injuring opposition players, comes to light. Sean is thrown under the bus as coach. Do you remember Bountygate? I sure do. Yep. Do you want to give us a quick synopsis there? Yeah. So Bountygate was basically when members of the New Orleans Saints were accused of paying out bonuses or bounties for injuring opposing team players. Yep. So what that is, is essentially they were rewarding the players for targeting specific opponents on the other team and trying to get injuries out of them. Uh, This was alleged to happen between 2009 and 2011. It started when the Saints defeated the Minnesota Vikings in the 2009 NFC Championship game. And that was like a very heated rivalry, but everyone kept saying that they were targeting Brett Favre. Like even the owner of the Vikings complained to the league that Favre seemed like he had a bounty on him. And then in 2010, an anonymous football player came and said that Favre and Warner were actually both targeted in that game from a bounty program that was administered by Greg Williams, who was their defensive coordinator. The Saints, the pl- the players and the coaching staff denied it, but the NFL opened an investigation anyway. That investigation got stalled until 2011, but in March of 2012, the NFL said that they had, and I quote, irrefutable proof that the bounty pool dating back to 2009 uh, was real and it was based on eight, 18,000 documents. Um, just an example of like some of the stuff that they did, like a special teamers who downed a kick returner would get a hundred bucks, but, but players also received bounties for certain things like card offs were a thousand dollars and knockouts were $1,500. And they said that they put bounties on people like Brett Favre and Warner, who I mentioned, Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, Matt Hasselback got one, <laughs> which is crazy. I mean, at that point, they must have just been running out of people. But they said that they would, as part of the program, give $5,000 to anyone that knocked out Aaron Rodgers in the 2011 season opener. And then Jay Cutler that same year was sacked six times and he almost lost his voice when someone kicked him in the throat. And then the uh, Josh Freeman, the quarterback for Tampa Bay at the time, he came out and said, yeah, the Saints' tendencies toward illegal hit was common knowledge in the locker room. Like, everyone talked about it. Yep. A lot of big things happen. To make a long story even longer, Sean Payton ended up being suspended the entire 2012 season. It was the first time a head coach had been suspended since 1978. Really, they suspended him because he knew about the scheme. And then when the investigation started out, he tried to cover it up. He was asked to shut it down and he didn't. Greg Williams was suspended indefinitely. He seemed to be the one that kind of administered this program. No club money went out. It was all pocket money. And a bunch of people were suspended. The Saints were penalized $500,000. They had to forfeit their second round drafts for 2012 and 2013. Everyone apologized. I mean, that's that's pretty much the long and short of it. A, a lot of the people were reinstated. Greg Williams 
was essentially let go and the Rams hired him, but then he was suspended for the year and they, they cut him loose right then. And then uh, the following year, the Titans picked him up. It, essentially, Goodell accepted everybody's apology and everyone got back in. Greg Williams, one of the great assholes of the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. Easily. Yeah, easily. I mean, there's other, everything's a gate in NFL too. You know, the spy gate, deflate gate. Those are both from your beloved Patriots, Bill Belichick. I was just going to say that my eye was caught by this whole scandal in America. Ooh, the scandal in America. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, that must be the biggest scandal since Watergate gate. Since what? Well, I think the American government hasn't been this screwed since, well, I think you have to go all the way back to Watergate gate. Watergate gate? Isn't it just Watergate? No, that would mean it was just about water. No, it was a scandal, or gate, at the suffix gate, that's what you do with a scandal, involving the Watergate Hotel, so it's called the Watergate Scandal, or Watergate Gate. But doesn't the term gate, meaning a scandal, come from Watergate? What? Take the last four letters of a previous scandal or hotel and add it on to all future scandals? That can't be the system. I think it is. But this is probably the biggest gate that happened. I would say so. Deflategate, absolute bullshit. Spygate 100% happened. <laughs> Interesting that Williams as well, the previous teams that he was a coordinator for when he was working with the Bills and the, the then Redskins uh, claimed that he was doing the same for them. As I say, one of the league's great assholes. I also have no doubt he wasn't the only person doing it and the Saints aren't, weren't the only team to be putting bounties on players. They were just the dumbasses who got caught. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I'm, I'm sure someone else did it. and. I'm sure there's no way that anyone in the Saints organization didn't know about it. Drew Brees came out and said that he had no idea that it was going on. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe they kept it from him. But it's kind of hard to imagine that not everyone knows about that. I could see it happening that maybe the offense don't know about it. Right. But if you find it hard to believe, particularly if it's a special team thing, you've got guys that play on offense and special teams. Yeah. Don't know. Anyway, they got what they deserved. Although I think. Uh, Williams was basically just back in the league straight away. They all kind of were. That year, none of them played, and I think they went seven and nine. Yeah, the record was seven and nine. Yep. Joe Vitt became, he was the assistant coach. He was suspended for six games, and they made him the head coach. Because, I mean, they suspended a lot of people, um, and then he came back in at game seven. But uh, what a mess. What a hot, hot mess. Absolutely. And I suppose if you don't think Greg Williams got what was coming to him, he also uh, worked for the Browns and the Jets when they were terrible. So that just shows you uh, there is some sort of justice. As we've said, a lot of people got suspended out of this, one of which Sean Payton uh, decides to appeal the decision, but goes back to Texas to reconnect with his teenage son, Connor. Payton does have a son called Connor, also has a daughter who is now a reporter, I think, for NBC. And she doesn't get mentioned at all, but she made a short documentary for NFL Films about this season as well called Cutting Oranges, which I'd recommend people check out. It's on YouTube. Mm. Payton goes to watch his kid play and predictably, kid doesn't want to see him. The ex-wife is sort of happy to see him, but also like, you know, your son, he wants you around and you're not around and he just sees you as... The coach, you know, dad, blah, blah, blah. And then we get weirdo new husband, uh, Jamie, played by Rob Schneider, who's a sort of- A carrot. Yeah. <laughs> he's your, your classic sensitive new age guy type. You know, he's into 
gong meditation and raw foods and a super hippie yeah a guy that makes his own tea and lavender soap he does have a good scene in it he said a couple funny things early on the kid gets off the football field and goes to the car and he gets in he's like hey kids you want to go for vegan ice cream (laughs) it's just like real ice cream if you've never had real ice cream (laughs) And that part made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah, and he asked the kids if they have any money to pay. You know, when I was a kid, I idolized my father so much. And then when I was eight, they got divorced and my dad moved out. I resented him so much. I, he used to call the house. I wouldn't even pick up the phone. He'd come by outside school and I, I'd walk right by him and not even acknowledge him. I know that must have hurt him. So when did you guys reconnect? Oh, we never did. Yeah, he could be dead by now. That was 30 years ago. Anyway, good game today. Kid, uh, why would why would you tell me that story? You're wearing the same cologne as, as he did, and it just reminded me of him. I, I, I don't wear cologne. In order to spend more time with the boy, Sean visits him during a football game, knows the terrible condition the local team is in. Now, my understanding is the, I think it's the Liberty Christian Warriors, something like that. Yep. They won their first, they were nowhere near this bad. They won the first game of the year 30-0 and and were a decent team. They weren't the sort of shambles who were cheering, scoring and players getting hit in the butthole. Uh, My butthole! Uh, From (laughs) field goal attempts and so forth. Later, he speaks to the current coach, Troy Lambert, played by Taylor Lautner, and his old deputy, Mitch Bazone, Gary Valentine, and gets to know the team, known as the Argyle Warriors, uh, and finds that they've been losing without scoring a single point at all throughout the season. They always end up having the scoreboard turned off, a move that sees the organisers end the game, switch off the scoring when a team goes down by 40 points to avoid further embarrassment. Now, they don't actually end the game. They just turn the score off. So, as as it says, avoids further embarrassment. Do you um do you agree with not keeping score in underage sports? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you should absolutely keep score. I've never heard of this turning it off at forty points. I don't know if I've ever been in a game with that much of a deficit. No, Mm-mm, no. I mean, I've definitely been on teams that have gotten blown out before, but not not by forty. And I don't think I agree with it. I think that probably makes the kids feel worse by switching off the scoreboard there. Yeah, they talk about it in there as being like, oh, we're going to turn them off, going to turn the board off on them, that sort of thing. So it's clearly, uh, you know, the kids know. And I, I found as well, like, even if you don't keep score, the kids know who's won, the kids know who's lost. Is more to the game than winning and losing for sure at that level. You know, you want kids to be playing for enjoyment. And that's ultimately the lesson that Coach Payton learned. Ooh, spoiler. I don't I don't believe that you should sort of mollycoddle the worst team in aid of, or I should say, water down the achievements of the good team in order to mollycoddle the worst team. Because that doesn't make them feel any better if there's no score. You know, and teams, teams know when they're not good. Teams know when they are good. I say let them play. Yep. You know, they'll, they'll figure it out. Did you play uh, football at this age? No, I played soccer at this age. So I guess I played English football at this age. <laughs> <laughs> and I played a lot of it. I was really into it. Uh, I had a buddy of mine, and that's what we did after school. We would just play it. We were on a team that we won. We won the championship like three or four years in a row. We, I think we won it three years in a row, but we went to the championship four years. We had a situation that was kind of similar to this too, where we had a team beat us, 
they stomped us pretty good. And then we played them in the championship and they were all complete assholes about it. They're like, <laughs> we, that's the team that we already beat. Oh my gosh, we stomped them. And they're running around and high-fiving them, you know, high-fiving each other and <laughs> pushing each other into the bushes like little jerks. <laughs> and, um, and we stomped them. We came out and stomped them. It was good. Let's go one for the good guys. That's what we'd like to hear. That's right. My first job out of school was coaching soccer at about the age group that the kids are in this. And I probably didn't learn the same lessons that um, Coach Payton did. In fact, I didn't really learn any of the kids' names. Just called them all mate. <laughs> Were you there? Or g- Actually, what I did was just gave them nicknames and called them that based on not even really on their names, just Largely what they were wearing first day of training. I made one kid captain because I did remember his name. Smart move. Uh, they asked They asked me before the first game, who's captain? And I was like, well, uh, Addison. <laughs> not, not a great player, but I did remember his name. Right. We weren't horribly successful. Our last game of the season, I spent more time trying to pick up the uh, very good-looking female coach of the other team. It's the move. Than, yeah. um, than actually coaching. But I did have a sort of- Similar moment to, I guess, Isaiah Mustafa's character. I coached, uh, rocked up to coach the team and filling in uh, this week as coach was the dad of one of the players on the team. And you go, all right, well, this will be all right. No, it was uh, Argentine soccer legend, Gabriel Batistuta, (laughs) who, (laughs) (laughs) if you know your 90s soccer, one of the great strikers of all time, long flowing hair, Tremendously handsome man, even better up up close. But, um, you know, we were probably going to get drilled by him yeah. anyway. It's fun that now all these years later, it's a story I can tell on a podcast and, and still feel quite bad about how badly they drilled us. That's wild. That is wild. If you would have beat him, would, have you, would you have acted like this coach in this, threw it in his face? Oh, 100%. I would have gone to his house and slept with his wife. <laughs> I would like to think I'm a better person, but I know I'm not. The driver's dog could have coached- uh, could have coached the team to to beat us. We were not very good. And to be honest, wasn't all just coaching, but a lot of it was coaching. I had a kid on my team I nicknamed Cartman um, because he was a short, fat, grumpy kid. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually had a lot in common with – because, you know, you've got one of these films. There's always the fat kid in, in these kind of films who's maybe a little bit smarter, a bit sassy, big into eating. And the fat kid in this film – orders pizza to the game in advance because he's he wants to be prepared uh, so the pizza's there when he's at his maximum hunger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like waving the pizza guy away so no one notices him. <laughs> I guess the fun of of coaching underage sport as uh, as our boy here learns to discover. One thing I wanted to talk about here, and maybe this will be a new segment that pops up from time to time, called She and Symbolism Corner. It's time for another exciting edition of Sheehan's Symbolism Corner. I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. I did enjoy, because one of the the things throughout this is Sean Payton is always wearing a visor. And I had a a bit of a blurry memory that he even slept in it, which is not true. (laughs) But you can see... As it progresses, he goes from in the the opening scenes, he's wearing the black New Orleans Saints visor and then gets lighter and lighter and lighter colours till eventually he's wearing a white Saints visor and then moves into a white Nike visor and finally 
he's wearing the visor of the team in the last couple of games and he's when he's really starting to get on board with it. Uh, and I think that's that's nice symbolism of his transition of where he is in the film and, and where he is on his journey. Yeah, very nice. I didn't even notice it, to be honest with you. But now that you say it, I remember all that happening. And that's been Sheehan's moment of symbolism. <laughs> yeah, symbolism corner might be back in future weeks. We'll see. And that was another exciting edition of... Pigs in Space! After... A few more miserable displays and failed attempts to spend time with Connor. Sean takes up Troy's offer to become a part of the team's coaching staff. The kids are excited to have Sean Payton coaching him, but they don't really get their head around what he's trying to do. The kids from the team talk about it in the documentary that Payton's daughter made. Is they, you know, they use a sweep right, sweep left, and all of a sudden they're sort of 24 red Doug Flutie, and they're like, what the hell is right. this? And he explains it to them with um, Mexican food which is quite fun. And that becomes a bit of a running joke as well. It's like, I want the grande burrito with, with extra queso or whatever. Right. Get the chip. Attack the chip. Got it. The kids get their head around the playbook. The season starts turning around for them. They start winning games. And Peyton and his son are getting closer. They're becoming mates, which is nice to see. But there are still some chinks in the armor, and Sean needs to work getting them up to the standard that he wants to see from. And it says here, there's a bit of a, a bit of a teaser in this thing that I'm reading. Does he manage to polish the team? and win the season, or do his efforts go in vain? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think before we dive into the second half of the film, I've not been to New Orleans. Have you been there? I have. I've been there a few times. I love New Orleans. It's a great town. There's great music. It's a food town, which I appreciate. Southern food. You get gumbo and jambalaya. You get beignets at Café du Mont, you know, Crawdad's Gator. There is Emerald's restaurant there, Nola, the Nola restaurant. Probably the best shrimp and grits I ever had in my life. Woo! Knocked my socks wow. off. And I'm a big shrimp and grits guy. It's fantastic. You know, French Quarter is a lot of fun. Bourbon Street is one of the main attractions. It's, it's a, it can be a good time, but it's a lot. It can be a bit much for my taste. It's crowded bars, crowded streets. I think it's good if you have a good group of people. Yep. There is a bar on there called uh, Lafayette's Blacksmith Shop. It was a house that was built in the 1770s. It's during the Spanish colonial period. It's one of the oldest structures in NOLA. And when I went there, I thought it was really cool because there was candles lit all around, like rather than overhead lights, they put candles everywhere. It was funny. I forgot about this till right when we jumped on the podcast. Me and my cousins were all there and we ran into an Australian fellow and we were chatting with mm. him and he was a nice guy and he had lost his friend. He's like, I lost my friend. I don't know where he is. He could be anywhere. You know, we were out on Bourbon Street. He could be anywhere. I've lost my friend. <laughs> right. And uh, so two of my cousins are like, we'll help you find him. And they go off. They bring back an Australian guy. They're like, we found your friend. And he's like, that's not my friend. And then <laughs> <laughs> that's not mine, mate. That's a different guy. But then those two guys ended up, it turns out they lived like one town away from each other. And they ended up cutting it up all night. and. 
getting each other's numbers. And for my speed, I'm more like Frenchman Street. It's right outside the French Quarter. It has dive bars on it. It's got like the best live jazz music you'll ever hear. You just walk into this dive bar. You hang out with locals. I had strangers buy me a drink. I saw a jazz parade like in the middle of the night. Just go down it. But that's like really the cool. I'm more into chill time now. I'm not into bars where I have to bump up against people anymore. I like to just sit down at the bar, shoot the shit with someone. Um, and that's where kind of Frenchman Street is is better for. I did run into this really weird time. Not the last time I went. Last time I went was about five years ago. But I went around like between 2010 and 2012. Again, this was the time we met the Australian. So I was there with a bunch of my cousins. And we go to this place called The Dungeon. Now, apparently The Dungeon opens up really late, but they have this bar at the top of it and when it opens, you go downstairs into this goth kind of club. So everyone in there is gothed out. Everyone's wearing black and piercings everywhere, dark makeup, all, the whole scene. You, you get the vibe. And we roll in there. I don't know why we rolled in there. It just looked neat. I mean, I have tattoos and stuff, so I, I fit in enough. I'm at the bar <laughs> and my cousin's on the other side of the bar, the complete other side. It's like a wraparound bar. And I wave to him and there's this dude sitting at the bar who is completely conservative. He's got like a college sports team hat on. He's got like an LL Bean looking jacket, completely out of place. And he waves to me. I was like, oh no, not you. My my cousin's behind you. And he gave me this like horrible scowl. And so, <laughs> and then he kept staring at me. Like I'm just hanging out with my friends, moving around and he keeps looking at me. So I'm like, I got to see what this guy's deal is. So I go up to order a drink and I order one. I go right next to this dude. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he looks at me, looks down at his beer and he goes, do you ever want to kill someone <laughs> slowly? <laughs> and I was like, no, bro, I can't say that. I have. He's like, sometimes I just thinking about killing people slowly for some reason i thought it was good to kind of talk to this guy because i'm like this guy's gonna murder me this guy <laughs> is gonna murder my face so i ended up talking to him for a while trying to like just ease out our situation because for some reason i know when i waved that triggered whatever crazy thing was going on in his head so i kind of sorted it out and he's like well, if someone hurts my family i think i can do whatever i want to them I was like, well, <laughs> that's not exactly true. And he's just saying all sorts of crazy shit. Um, but I ended up kind of talking him down. I was like, hey, nice talking to you. And he's like, you too. And I walked over to my group and I was like, we got to get the hell out of here right now. <laughs> but then it turned out that at that place, we ne I never confirmed it, but I had a buddy of mine there. They looked it up and said someone disappeared from that place like the week before. And I was like, it's 100% that guy. That guy is definitely doing that fucking hell so that's a that's a little nola story for you come down visit check it out wow. good times there you go well if the angel of death is out there listening um like and subscribe five stars yeah. no that's um i'm disappointed that sean Payne didn't meet him that would have been an exciting moment in the <laughs> film i know it was bizarre man that is but you know tremendous 75 percent of my other times at new orleans was really good time i love that city <laughs> sean studies the team and changes up the positions of the kids according to their strengths much to the resentment parents however when they start winning everyone learns to trust him so he moves his own son to wide receiver because he's fast the 
bit of an asshole kid who's quarterback. He moves to running back. He was real arrogant. They kept saying he was the best kid on the team. And he's like, I am the best kid on the team. Like he was, he was just that kind of kid. I, I don't know. And we'll probably get into this more later in the synopsis. None of the kids really had much depth. I can't tell you any of the kids name except for Connor which is Sean Payton's kid. But he was kind of like that. You could tell he was arrogant, but he didn't have a lot of play in the movie. No, he was just the the former star player who who had to get his position changed. I did like when he called um, Coach Payton baby. And Payton's like, what yeah, was that? Right, uh, yeah. What was that? He's like, oh, I called you coach. So that's what I thought. Seems about right. There are still a few challenges in his path. The team's field goal kicker, Harlan, fantastic named actor Manny Magnus, has a great leg during mm. practice but always chokes during games, sees a girl in the crowd that he likes and just gets gets the yips. Yep. <laughs> yep. Furthermore, another kid, Dennis, built like a brick shit house but evades contact by running away from potential tackles instead of getting into him. Sean learns that Harlan's issue is more romantic than pressure, gets him because his crush is in the stands. The team decides to help Harlan by accompanying him to the girl's house. He sings confesses his feelings for her. Gesture is sweet, but also goes horribly wrong when a fire lantern, which they bring along, gets caught up in a tree and leads to disaster. He like burns the house down just about while they're singing some song. Yeah, one of my favorite parts was when they're like, oh my God, that tree's on fire. <laughs> it was out of the blue. It was kind of a shock. It was uh, one of the more surprising jokes. It was a funny scene because they show up with these lanterns outside this girl's house and they're singing. And then this grumpy old woman comes out. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Stop making all this noise. I'm trying to sleep. One of the kids is like, it's 7.30. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're looking for whatever the girl is like, no, wrong house. And it's the, the girl's house that they set on fire. Yeah. Yeah, they said her, uh, her mom's car gets on fire. And she's like, mom, how are you going to get to work? And she's like, I don't know. I, I'm going to be fired, I guess. And that's kind of how the scene ended. Peyton also moves Dennis into a new position where he's forced to face the opposition's tacklers. He still does not engage in contact. So he moves from, I, I guess he's like a defensive end to fullback, something like that. He's a yep. bur- burly little kid. He's the one with the real horny mom who invites Sean Payton around for gumbo and is really throwing herself at him. Yeah, hard. And it says yeah. something like, it's something along the lines of you can't trust skinny bitches or something like that. Yeah, she was saying that uh, skinny women can't handle all that man. You need someone that knows <laughs> how to handle him. And she's sending, he's supposed to be there for the kid and she's sending the kid to his room right away. Even though he isn't able to fix everything, the team still goes on a winning spree. Until they play the reigning champions, the Springtown Porcupines. That's Isaiah Mustafa's team. The game turns out to be an extremely physical one. The Warriors get battered, which actually happened. They lost about 60 to 6. What they say in the documentary is the team was, well, we talked about the team was already good. And basically, they didn't shut the scoreboard off on anyone the season prior. And after about three weeks with Peyton there, they were shutting the scoreboard off every week. So it was a real shock when they got absolutely drilled by this team. They use this old-fashioned single wing formation which coaches basically phased out in the 40s <laughs> so it was just really hard to defend against especially if you're coaching a kids team as things get better for the team those get better for sean and connor they start conversing the latter finally starts appreciating his dad being back connor tells him one day that he doesn't know him but would like to and of course sean's he's over the moon with that they sort of have a, a talk about his life the kid says to him you know if you're taking responsibility for your actions why are you appealing because uh, Throughout, Peyton's been like, well, I'm only going to be here while my appeal's on the table. That This might be earlier. Oh, actually, this is earlier. Sorry no, that this yeah, happens. It's, it's a very yep. poignant scene anyway. And this yep. later scene, I think, is when he asks him about the onside kick to start the second half 
Or maybe I'm getting confused with that either. Anyway, at least one poignant scene. I mean, they, they kind of start to bond and turn a corner here. And, you know, he's like, kind of throws some shade on him. Like, well, why are you appealing if you're taking responsibility? And then they kind of break through some ice. And he's like, ask me anything. I'm here now. And then he asks him about the onside kick in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and he says, oh, you gotta, you got to be unexpected. Uh, that's more Belichick than Peyton. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's basically his answer. Right. Meanwhile, the, the team is demoralized after their horrifying loss to Porcupines. Sean picks up the morale by telling them they're going to reach the championship, play them again, and beat them. On the day of the penultimate game, Jamie, this is Rob Schneider's character, prepares homemade energy bars, which he nicknames the Super Log, hands them out to the team as they get in the bus. Amid heavy rain, the game reaches the final seconds and the Warriors are one touchdown away from the finals. But the Superlog just basically starts a chain of projectile vomiting <laughs> yeah. with some very questionable CGI. Yes. Agree on all accounts. Yeah. That to me is more of a um, Happy Madison production kind of comedy. It was just yeah. base. Like everyone just starts throwing up. People are slipping in it. I mean, it it wasn't gross. It wasn't overdone. I mean, but it was it was a lot of a lot of vomit. Yes, it was very subtle for an excessive vomiting scene. But uh, it ends up paying off because the opposition team don't want to tackle them. They score the touchdown and get to the final. Right. The day of the final approaches and the team is ready for redemption. Peyton stays up all night trying to work out how to game plan against this offense. As you say, it's the single wing, and he's just totally bereft. He calls his former coach, which is Bill Cower, explains the opposition using an old play from the 50s, tells the trick to beat him is not about skill, but about speed. The thing about the single wing is you have multiple runners. The quarterback turns his back to the defenders, and basically you don't know where to set the edge. You don't know where the ball is coming from because there are two or three possible ball carriers, and you don't see who has it until it's largely too late. And it can lead to big chunk plays often. Yep. Is basically the issue there. Now, in the film, he calls Bill Cower. Pittsburgh Steeler coach. Yep. Former Pittsburgh Steeler coach. I thought at the time, I reckon this is supposed to be Bill Parcells. Yep. Because Parcells was Peyton's mentor, and it turns out in real life, he actually did call Parcells. Yeah. Yeah, the big tuna. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> big tuna. <laughs> or Jim, Jim Halford himself. That's right. Jim Halford. Mm. I'm so horny. Okay, I can't help you with that. Oh, I think you can, big tuna. Yeah, Bill Parcells is the head coach of really his I guess his big claim to fame would be the Giants, but he also coached the Patriots and the Cowboys. And the Jets. Oh, right. And the Jets. Coached um, the Giants to two Super Bowls, uh, coached the Patriots, and then the Jets after that, and then the Cowboys after that. Retired a bunch of times as well. Sure. uh, And kept coming back. Belichick was his defensive coordinator for a long time. Sean Payton was uh, his offensive coordinator when he was at the Cowboys. And a bunch of names that you would know from the NFL uh, are part of the Parcells tree. I watched a documentary about him the other night, so I'm Hmm. full of Parcells facts. I read that he called Bill Parcells and he also called John Gruden. So we'll touch on (laughs) that at another time. (laughs) (laughs) But he called those two guys and said he said he talked about it all week with them about how to beat this, you know, single wing formation. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of these things. It's like you see it maybe once or twice a season in the NFL now. I believe George Hallis, great Papa Bear, 
came up with it and it was all the rage for a while there. And then as the game became more of a passing game, it went by the wayside. But as I say, I think the be- uh, I think the Ravens might run out of single wing a couple of times a season. Yeah, you know, they might have. I don't know. I mean, th- this movie focused a lot on it, so I could really tell what was going on. But I don't really think I see that too much in the NFL. They talked in the movie that the Steelers used it as well, but I don't know. I can't really recognize it, to be honest with you, offhand. Yeah, the Steelers sort of pre-Terry Bradshaw use it. You see it a lot, I think, in high school football and college football where you don't necessarily have the same throwing capabilities with a lot of quarterbacks. You really just want the ball in the hands of the athletes. Yeah, you get a lot of wildcats and stuff like that. That's exactly it. And it's a... As I say, it's a good way to pick up chunk yards because teams struggle to defend against it. Yep. Anyway, good single wing chat. Uh, the day the game arrives and the Warriors open brilliantly, Marcos, the quarterback turned running back, uh, returns the kickoff for a touchdown, uh, but the Porcupines respond equally well and the contest turns fierce. Peyton moves uh, Marcos, the, the running back, and his son Connor. He has them playing uh, double duty. So they're on offense and defense and they are absolutely gassed Yeah. by the time halftime rolls around. And the kids are upset because he's taken kids off. He's clearly trying to win, but but forgets about that the game is about enjoyment. Oh, I think a life lesson is brewing here. I think that's exactly what it is. So, yeah, he, he plays his star players and a, a lot of the other players sort of get stuck on the bench. Head, head in their hands, yeah. well, kicking a dead bird. That doesn't <laughs> kick, happen. Kicking a can. <laughs> yeah, a hands d- in their pockets, kicking a can. <laughs> Yeah, the, the flatter than a shit Carter's hat, as they would say. <laughs> yeah, but these uh, these kids are getting worse and worse as they go on too, because they're getting tired. And I guess they're, as I say, they're absolutely gassed. And there's some there's parallels there with Bounty Gate and needing to win and what's right and what's ethics. If I'm gonna be honest, I think it was a little thin on kind of a parallel that would go on there. They kind of really jumped over Bounty Gate, but I guess that was kind of the premise of it. You know, you go from this one thing and now you're going here and winning isn't everything. There's got to be more to the game. Yeah. In fact, it was a, it was a thin metaphor that the fact that it was so thin that I didn't realize until you brought it up just now. Yeah, there it is. Peyton implements his new tactics, leaves his best players on the field, leaving the actual defenders on the bench alongside Harlan, who hasn't played in a while due to his, his issues. As halftime arrives, Connor and Marcos are tied due to running on both offense defense, despite being a point ahead, the team is is low. Connor finally confronts his dad about his desire to win, and instead of prioritizing fun, things get heated between the two of them. Listen, Brian, I want you to- You're here yelling at everybody and won't let anybody listen to Coach Troy. You haven't let Harlan play in weeks. Because I'm trying to win us a championship, okay? Just so you don't look bad. Ever since you got embarrassed on ESPN, you've been riding all of us. I thought this was supposed to be fun. Was it fun losing every week? Is that fun? It was more fun than this. Hey, if you're not having fun, you're welcome to ride the bench, okay? So are you just, just going to bench the whole team then? What is your problem? I am here trying to make this work. You're only here because you got suspended. As the game resumes, Sean thinks about his decision to realise he's ruining whatever he's built with the sun. Puts the players back in. One of the players blocks a field goal. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, the game goes well. The, the Warriors end up with a few final seconds to run the last play for the win. However, Peyton again switches the play to the field goal unit in order to let Harlan play and, and go for the tie instead of the win. So Harlan steps up, notices his crush holding a Go Harlan placard below the scoreboard. I think that was just in his mind. <laughs> you think that that was some sort of made up, made up thing, a, something deep 
in a movie that was otherwise not so deep. <laughs> I think it was a throwback to another great Happy Madison film, Went to His Happy Place from Happy Gilmore. Oh, there you go. Tap, tap, tap it in. He's buoyed in spirit and he kicks the ball high. It flies towards the goal but misses it and hits the scoreboard instead. As the porcupines celebrate, the scoreboard malfunctions due to the impact and the lights start exploding. Everyone stares in awe as it shuts down and the Warriors rejoice that despite losing the championship, they turned off the scoreboard on their rivals, which is a nice, fun moment. And the, the commentator is, a, is sort of waxing lyrical about their achievements and then said, just to be clear, the Warriors have not won yet. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the Porcupines did win the game. And then he goes back to, what a game. Oh, I've never seen anything like this. Peyton accepts the runners-up trophy and everybody celebrates. Later, the father-son duo discuss Connor visiting. Next season, when he'll be back to coaching the Saints, an invitation which he gladly accepts. Hey, I wanted to thank you. For what? Well, I wanted you to know that I really, I, I needed you and the, the team more than you guys needed me. Yeah, you did. So I was talking to your mom about maybe you coming out to New Orleans for uh, some visits this year. What do you think of that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. That'd be that'd be really fun. Love that. Right. Can I go to games? Yeah, that's what you're coming out there for. You're not staying in my house, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Think I can meet Drew? No, he don't want to meet you. <laughs> we'll have some fun. I love you, Con. I love you too, Dad. Film ends with Peyton returning to his office as coach. And who's in there but the cleaner Lionel? Ooh. Played by Sean Payton himself in the world's worst Fred Flintstone wig. Horrible wig. Horrible wig. Did you know it was Sean Payton at first, when you saw it? Did I know it was him in, when he turned around? Yeah. Or before yeah. he turned around? Well, but when he turned around. So for me- As soon as I turned around, I was like, oh, it's Sean Payton. For me, it took a second because you see him and he's kind of got his back to you and he still kind of turns- but then he addresses him a second time. And the second time I was like, oh, that's Sean Payton. At first I was like, what's wrong with this guy? I was so fixated on the wig that something yep. was just off about it. But then I realized what's it was wrong Sean Payton. With this guy? <laughs> <It's> like, something's <laughs> wrong with this dude. Like, what's wrong with his gross hair? Um, but then <laughs> when he turned around, I was like, oh, it's Sean Payton. Lionel, coach, it's so good to have you back. Uh, it's good to be back. I missed you so much. Uh, I miss you too. We really suck without you. I mean, once once I could see his face, I was like, oh, it's Pate. And he says something like, oh, it's good to have you back, coach. The place really sucked without you or something like that. Right. And yeah, I missed you. I missed you too. And then it's kind of like a little little wink to the fans. And then the um, the film ends. Peyton uh, has his little runners-up trophy and he, he rearranges his, his trophy count. He pushes the Lombardi trophy back just slightly and puts his... Texas Championship runners-up trophy next to the Super Bowl one, and then roll credits. Ah, how sweet. Sweet, fun ending for the family. Yeah, it was a it was a nice film. We reached the end of the film here. Do you know who the current head coach of the Liberty Christian Warriors is? Former tight end of the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Witten. How crazy is that? I know. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders legend jason witt that's crazy jason witten won me a championship in fantasy football i streamed him one year and everyone thought it was nice. so yeah it was um it was the year before kirk cousins came on no one was drafting him 
And I just had a horrible rash of injuries and stuff going into the playoffs. And I picked up Jason Witten because he was on waivers and Kirk Cousins and ran them both. And people mocked me and laughed and I crushed my competition. And then I laughed and laughed and <laughs> laughed. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to uh, take the wins when they come. Absolutely. So that's um, that's the end of home turns. What did, uh, what did you think of it? Where are you putting that on our our rating scale. So, you know, this was, this is a plot we've seen before. We've mentioned the comedies from the nineties and the bad news bear style comedy. Overall, I think it's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's more a kid's movie or family movie. I think I'm, like I said, I, I liked Kevin James in this. I thought he did well, as opposed to some of the other stuff he he's done. And there were definitely some funny parts in this, but overall, I think it kind of lacked character development. I really didn't connect with any of the kid characters. Their their personality traits were a little bit on the surface for me. You know, also, I didn't think there was a really good tie-in with growth with Peyton and especially, you know, Bounty Gate was kind of a big deal. So mm. I feel like they maybe even glossed over that a little bit. He, You know, one time he's like, well, I have to take responsibility. You know, that's what a head coach does. And I'm like, well, dude, you knew for sure what was going on. There's no way. So I think they were kind of light on that. I mean, at the end of the day, if I put it on her scale, I would probably go for me personally, like a seventh round. That light? I think so. I mean, if you, if for like a family, I kind of compared it to like Gus, like Gus, I put in the sixth round and I would maybe, I would maybe put this there. To, but to be honest with you, I'd rather watch Gus again. Yep. Um, there, was, there wasn't too many laughs for me in this one. You know, in the sixth round in our previous podcast, I put Gus there. I put Police Academy there. I don't think that this, may, it's probably on the same wavelength, but more family oriented. Where, where would you put it at? What did you think of it? It's funny you mentioned Gus because I'm with you. I would rather watch Gus again than watch this. I didn't. Like if I wanted to laugh at something, I would I would watch rather watch Gus again. I'm never gonna watch this again. I've seen it twice. The first time I watched it, I was quite hungover, and it was perfect for that. Cause you don't have to think about it. It's sort of just there. You know, it's mildly funny. But you're right. The kids lacked something. You know, compare this to like a kicking and screaming with Will Ferrell. Right. The the kids sort of lacked personalities a little bit. The the comedy really came from these kind of wacky side characters. I don't know. I, I would say about the sixth round. I didn't think it was terrible. It was certainly better than I expected, but I kind of wish it was worse. Me too. And I, I think it it needed to go one way or the other. It's like the wackiness really needed to be amped up more, especially from these characters. It was kind of divided between Rob Schneider. You had the assistant coach, which is Gary Valentine. That's Kevin James' brother. He was one of the main comic reliefs. He's He's a drunk and he rides his bike everywhere all reckless. One point he rips a bike off the wall of like a TJ High Friday style restaurant. That's one of the funniest scenes in the movie. And he rips it off for the bike chain, not even the bike. So for me, I laughed at that part, but they were kind of too far and in between. And if you look at some of these earlier sports movies with kids like Sandlot is a perfect example, but obviously that's probably the yardstick for these things. But every kid had their own thing and every kid tied into the plot and tied into one another in some way. 
Whereas these kids, the only kid that really tied into the plot was Peyton's kid and the field kicker that they went and sang for the girl. I don't know. Like the one kid that they moved to fullback, you didn't really see him overcome his fear. The kicker didn't exactly do it. So just for me, there was there was just a little bit lacking in this movie. The The funniness could have been really amped up. And I think with some of these Sandler movies, it's understandable that maybe they were way too much for people. I personally really like Billy Madison and really like Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. I find those movies hilarious. It's bizarre humor. It's over the top. I get not going that extreme for the masses, but it could use more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I've got some reviews here from people who also didn't enjoy it. Let's check them out. Uh, and this one says, look at the rating, says it all. The movie is nothing Saints related, and I doubt this movie is really about Peyton. Horrible watch. Turned it off pretty early. Kevin James ruined his career with these types of films. Here I am expecting a movie when he went to the NFL. Instead, I'm left watching eight-year-olds, WTF. I think what this gentleman wanted to watch was a 30 for 30 documentary. Right. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I mean- As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even say it was bad. I still drafted it. We have the option to undraft in our rating. I don't regret watching it. It certainly wasn't that bad. No. I I would say it was fine. Yeah. We have a review here, another one star from Ellie Marvin 48866, who created her IMDB account just to leave this review. (laughs) I love it when they do that. The anger they must have. Well, yeah. And zero of three (laughs) have found this helpful so far. After a long break from Twilight, I had high hopes to see Taylor's sculpted midsection. I was very disappointed that he was not shirtless even a single time. He's even at a pool party, but wears a tank top. Free the abs. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough, if that's what you came to the party for, I guess. It's a weird review. <laughs> very weird review. It's called Finally Something Wholesome from Vegan Healer. And you think, all right, this might be a fan of Rob Schneider's character. (laughs) Who's not? This was a great movie. People aren't a-holes to each other. There's no race baiting or anti-Americanism going on. Just some good old-fashioned family fun and family values and laughs. Great job, Adam Sandler and team. Weird way to turn a phrase in there, but I, I will take from this. I do think that these type of movies are needed in the world. I said that earlier. It's This is something you can sit down with your you know, kids or your nieces and nephews. I mean, it's something that you can put on in the background and know nothing bad's coming out of it. It's light uh, family entertainment. I just feel that there's movies that do it better. Yep, totally agree. Well, we've talked about this. We've talked it to death. I don't think there's anything else we need to say about it. Have I missed anything? No, I think we went through it pretty clearly. I don't think there's too much left to talk about in this movie. Awesome. Well, tell the good people where they can find you. So you can find me on social media at Justin underscore B on Twitter. If you want to stop by and say hi or see some of our links, add a link from our last podcast showing some books that I read, if you're interested in that, or if you want to check out some of my design and web work or need design and web work, you can go to Justin B.com. Awesome. And I am at she and solo on Twitter. You can also follow the show at Screen Pass Podcast on Instagram. You can drop us an email if you have any feedback or suggestions or questions or anything like that. That is at screenulater at gmail.com. Justin, 
screen you later, bounty gator. <laughs> <laughs> Schneider, derby derp, 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 Until one day, a derp, 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 From the creators of derp, and derp, 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 Rob Schneider is the derp, 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 der